Hi, I'm Dennis Hester, and I'm the pastor here at First Baptist Church Watauga, and we are grateful that you have tuned in to listen to these messages, either through our podcast or on our website. And as you listen to these, our prayer is that you would hear the Lord speak to you from His Holy Word. If you're interested in learning more about the church, you can get on our website at fbcwatauga.org. From there, there's a place where you can plan a visit, you can learn more about our beliefs. You can also request prayer through the prayer request page. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, we'd love to get to know you. The most important thing that I'd communicate to you is as you listen to God's Word, that you find a place to get plugged into a local congregation, whether it's here at First Baptist or another local church where you live. If you'd like information or would like us to help you find a church home, uh, we'd love to talk to you about that. And you can contact us through our Facebook page. So God bless you as you listen to His Word, and may the Lord encourage you in your walk. Amen. Scripture says, long ago, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. God appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. The son is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact representation of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So he became superior to the angels just as the name he inherited is more excellent than theirs. Last year, the, the first Sunday following Easter, Kevin Skinner launched our study on the book of Hebrews with that passage, Hebrews chapter one, verses one through four. Today, 2020, the last Sunday before Easter, we're gonna finish up our study of Hebrews with a look at the final exhortations from the author of Hebrews. Today in particular, as I look at his prayer request and his prayer for his church, I'm reminded of those first few verses that, that tell us that Jesus is the one who accomplished it all. He is the radiance of the glory of God. We can know God through him. But I think most importantly for where we are today in the uncertainty of our times economically, the uncertainty of the disease that's ravaging our nation and our world, we can rest in the fact that when Jesus finished giving his self for the purification of our sins, he rose from the grave and he sat down at the right hand of the Father. He sat down because he finished the work. He accomplished all that he needed to accomplish for you and I. The next great event in history is gonna be when he rides in through the clouds when he returns. And so what a glorious name we celebrate when we celebrate the name of Jesus. It is through him that uh, everything that we need to, to, to alleviate our fears, we have. Everything that we need to become the people of God and to fulfill the purposes of God, we have. And it comes through the person and work of Jesus Christ. We'll celebrate that today. We'll celebrate it next Sunday on Easter Sunday. And we'll celebrate it the next week. And we'll keep celebrating it because Jesus has accomplished for us what we need. And that's going to be a large part of the focus of today's message. Today's message is that last exhortation. Hebrews chapter 13 
verses 18 through 25. And if you want to turn there in your Bibles, uh, you can read it along with me. I'm reading from the Christian Standard Version or Christian Standard Bible. If you have an iPad or a phone, it's probably right there in your, uh, your list of versions. You can pull it up and read the exact words along with me. The scripture says in verse 18, pray for us for we are convinced that we have a clear conscience wanting to conduct ourselves honorably in everything. And I urge you all the more to pray that I may be restored to you very soon. Now may the God of peace who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, equip you with everything good to do his will, working in us what is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Brothers and sisters, I urge you to receive this message of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. Be aware that our brother Timothy has been released. If he comes soon enough, he will be with me when I see you. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who are from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with you all. Now certainly the last four verses there, verses 20 through 25, are really the author's signature sign-off. He gives them just a little bit of information. He's planning on coming to see them. Uh, Timothy apparently had been imprisoned and was being released, and the author of Hebrews uh, tells us that Timothy was coming to, uh, hopefully, to meet him soon enough that Timothy could come with him uh, when he went to visit with, with these folks to whom he is writing. The meat of our message is going to come from verses 20 and 21. But before we get there, I want to see you some I want to show you something that I thought was really special this week and it was just an encouragement and it spoke to me. As I said, we began this this study a year ago, April the 28th. I began planning this study even before that, back in, in November and December of, of 2018 is when the Lord placed on my heart this series, and, and we begin to lay it out like this. And here today we come to this passage that begins in verse 18 with a plea for prayer. The author of Hebrews, and, and we've talked about that up front. We are not sure who wrote Hebrews. The author does not sign his name. Some believe Barnabas wrote Hebrews. Some believe the apostle Paul wrote Hebrews. Uh, others believe Luke wrote Hebrews. Uh, I tend to think that it probably was not Luke. Uh, I mean, it was not Paul, but it probably was Luke or Barnabas, one of Paul's traveling companions, and talked about that up front, and there's a lot of reasons for that. But uh, whoever it was, as I say, we'll just say it's Luke, uh, he asked for prayer for he and those who were with him as he's writing this letter. And there's a couple things that he mentions in this prayer that really draw my attention. The first one is this. He, he confesses or he establishes this idea that he has a clear conscience and, and that he continues to desire to do good works. Uh, certainly, the apostles were under attack uh, during this time. They were not only under attack by uh, non-believing Jews, they were also under attack by uh, the, the Gentiles who, who felt threatened by the message of Jesus. But oftentimes they were also under attack by false apostles. 
The apostle Paul dealt with this. We've been talking about it on Wednesday nights uh, from our study in 2 Corinthians. But all of the apostles felt like at times they were under attack from false prophets and false apostles. And and we haven't spent a lot of time talking about that as we studied Hebrews, but it is a a, a reoccurring kind of idea in the book of Hebrews. And so the writer of Hebrews uh, just simply makes this point. We have a clear conscience. Now there's a neat little word play that he does here. He uses a word that means good in two places. Uh, the first place is when he says, it's translated here, we have a clear conscience. Uh, that is the uh, uh, accused of, of the, the, kind of used in an a- adjective, so to speak, but it means a good conscience. It's kalos, the Greek word. And then he turns around and he uses the, a similar word. It's the adverb kalos, which means good, in the next phrase. So he says, we have a good conscience wanting to conduct ourselves honorably or doing good things. And one of the reasons I just want to draw your attention to that, he uses that word play that we might not catch in English, and essentially what the writer of Hebrews is saying, what is going on inside of me is the same thing you see coming out of me. What you see in my life on the outside, the good honorable things that I'm trying to do, are what's on the innermost part of my being. I have a clear conscience in that. So the writer of Hebrews is wanting the the people to understand that he is functioning with integrity. He's not putting on some kind of false front for them. He's not putting on a mask. And and we live in a time where, where certainly that's who God's called us to be. We need to be a people of integrity. The good things that we do on the outside ought to be rooted in who we are on the inside. And we need to walk in this life with integrity. The second verse there, so he says, pray for us, because we have a good conscience and we're trying to do good things, but I urge you all the more to pray. Why? So that we can be restored to you. If I had a prayer request today, (laughs) I would pray for all of those who are listening out there in your living rooms to pray that God bring an end to this virus so that we as his church can be restored to one another. Just on a personal note, I miss you, (laughs) I miss my congregation, I miss my friends, I miss my family, and I know you do too. Isn't it it absolutely amazing that a, a series of sermons that is planned years in advance, when we get to this point, the week before Easter, facing this COVID isolation lockdown, that we come to a passage where the writer of Hebrews has the same heart we have. I miss you, pray that we can be restored together soon. So I'd encourage you to pray. God in his sovereignty had a purpose and a plan, I believe, for us to be looking at that verse on this day. And so pray. Pray for us. Pray for your leaders. Pray for this team who is, who is coming up here every Sunday morning to, uh, to prepare, the, the, the praise team practicing on Thursdays to prepare to bring this service to you. Pray for Kevin and I, and pray for your deacon leadership who are seeking to serve the body of Christ during these difficult times. Pray, and pray that the Lord do his work and bring an end to this so that soon we can be restored to one another. The next main point that we see here is a prayer for his people. Some would refer to this as a benediction, but essentially it is the author's prayer for those to whom he is writing, to these Hebrew believers to whom he is writing. And I'm gonna gonna walk through this because he uses some uh, apposition, some uh, 
phrases. So he stacks phrases on top of phrases and noun phrases on top of noun phrases to, to, to kind of ex- describe and explain uh, what he uh, is trying to accomplish or what he's trying to get across. So he describes God in a few different ways and then he tells us what God is equipping us to do in a few different ways. The main verb of these, these two verses are one sentence in Greek and the main verb is to equip. He's saying God equips us. So that's the main meat of our study today. But he first gives us this incredible picture of who God is. So read with me those two verses again. Verse 20 and 21. Now may the God of peace who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, equip you with everything good to do his will working in us what is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. So who is God? How does he describe God in this passage? First, he says God is a God of peace. God is a God who is not a God of chaos. He is not a God of fear. He's not a God of war. He's a God of peace. Now, certainly, there are times when God has been in opposition to others, in opposition to those who are sinning or in opposition to those who, who are attacking his people. But God is, is, in his very nature, a God of peace. In fact, there's, there's two different ways that, 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 that we find God's peace. The first is we can have peace with God. Scripture tells us that because of our sin, we are separated by our sin from a holy God. And and not that God doesn't love us and and God doesn't want a relationship with us, but our sin, our our knowingly doing what he's told us not to do and refusing to be obedient to him and believe in him and believe his truth has separated us from God. And so we find ourselves in opposition to God. So we are not at peace with God. But God, because he is a God of peace, and we'll see this fleshed out in this text, sent his son Jesus to die on a cross to shed his blood as a sacrifice for our sin. That if we would simply believe and put our faith and trust in Jesus and repent of our sin, he would heal that that brokenness. We could be at peace with God. We could be on the same side of that chasm, not because we were good, but because we, we accepted that gift of eternal life that he offers us through his son. So we can have peace with God, but there's also a peace of God. And this is a peace that I've spoken of quite often because I believe that even as we go through the storms of life, regardless of what those storms are, you know, the, the, the headlines right now are the, the effects of the the COVID virus, the deaths that are being caused, the separation that's being caused. But there's still more more people right now that are dying from other causes than are dying from that. And that gets lost in the headlines. It seems like almost every day I'm seeing murders in Tarrant County. People are dying. There's more people that have died from being murdered in Tarrant County since the COVID lockdown began than have died from the disease. And so there's tragedy there's, there's pain, there's disruption, there's storms of life that we deal with every season, all the time. Now certainly our, our world and our, our culture is focused on the storm that is coming through the pandemic and that draws our attention. But the message is still the same. When you have a relationship with God, 
when you, when you know him and his spirit dwells within you, you can rest at peace as though you're in the eye of the storm, regardless of what the storm is. Regardless of how broad or how deep, we can have peace. I'm reminded of, of Jesus in the boat when the, he was asleep in the bow of the boat on the Sea of Galilee when the storm began to come and the disciples became frantic and, and the storm was, was so ferocious that the waves were being driven up over the side of their boat and in the middle of the night the, the disciples had gotten buckets and they were trying to bail the water out of the boat and, and finally they realized that Jesus was asleep in the bow of the boat. And, and one of the disciples finally comes to Jesus and said, Jesus, what are you doing? We're drowning here. And Jesus just turns to look at him and says, oh, you have little faith. And he looks up at the storm and he says, peace, be still. And the storm quieted down. What the disciples did not know was they weren't drowning. They couldn't drown because the king of kings and lord of lords was in the boat with them. Christian, if you have, have put your faith in Christ and have a personal relationship with him, the spirit of the living God is in the boat with you. There's no reason for fear. There's no reason to, 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 to run around as though the sky is falling. It's not. Jesus, who accomplished all that he needed to accomplish and sat down at the right hand of the Father, as we see in Hebrews chapter one, is still seated on the throne. And he has sent his spirit, as he promises in John chapter 16, to not only be with you, but to be in you. And so the God of peace is with us in the midst of the storms. And I honestly believe that's why, though I, I watch the news and I, 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 I get frustrated with some things that, that are out there, I'm just not afraid. Because the God of peace is, is with me. In, in Philippians, Paul talks about a peace that passes understanding. That's the peace we're talking about. So the God of peace is a God who desires to be at peace with you, but he desires to give you his peace as well. God is also described here as the God of life. He is the God who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus. He is the God who breathed life into Adam in the first place. He is the, the God who breathed, uh, ever, who breathed life into the, the, the dry bones and the valley of the dry bones. He is the God of life. And because he is the God of life, we can trust him with our lives. Now, I see a lot of misuse of a of an Old Testament passage, a, a requoting over and over that we are uh, that somehow we are healed by the blood of the Lamb. Yes, we are healed by the blood of the Lamb. Through the blood of Christ, we receive a perfect, pure healing from our greatest sickness, our sin. So that through Christ, regardless of what happens in this world, and and believe me, unless Jesus returned first, you're going to die and I'm gonna die, right? Every single one of us, it's, the, it's, the, it's not morbid, it's the condition of man. This body is gonna be folded up like a tent one day, it's gonna be placed in the ground, but if you put your faith and trust in Christ, your spirit will never die. 
And the hope that we have for the healing blood of Jesus Christ is what we see right here. The God who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead is going to raise us up also with him. And we see that all throughout the New Testament. Just as sure as Jesus rose from the grave, so also will those who put their faith and trust in him. So our God is a God of peace and our God is a God of life. He's not a God of death. He's not a God of, of, of illness. He's not a God of dementia. He is a God of life. And ultimately, when he speaks, life comes. Now, don't, don't get it wrong. We will face hard times on this earth. Jesus made that promise to his disciples over and over and over. And not only did he make the promise, he gave them a pretty good example of it. Jesus showed them what it was like to face hard times on this earth. None of us have, have faced what Jesus faced. You may argue there were some of the apostles of old who did. Paul, through all of his beatings, faced a lot of what Jesus did. The, the one key that Paul didn't face that he couldn't was he didn't take on the sins of the world that absolutely crushed Christ. But he's the God of life. When all of the storms came, when all of Satan's attacks were, were finished, when, when everything he could do to, to, to place Jesus in that grave and put a seal over that grave and make sure Jesus was going to stay in that grave, Jesus did not stay in the grave. <laughs> because our God, who is a God of life, rose Jesus up from the dead. And that promise is a promise that he makes to those of us who believe in him as well. Our God, is, who is a God of life, gives us life through the blood of the everlasting covenant. When he died on the cross and shed his blood, he made a promise and a commitment to us that we would have everlasting life if we'd believe in him. Third here, Jesus is our great shepherd. And so, you see this, this phrase, who brought him up from the dead, our Lord Jesus, and then you see this phrase in, in apposition to it, the great shepherd of the sheep. I, I can only imagine that the writer of Hebrews who has spent so much time tying his theology and, and, and to the Old Testament, helping to explain the truths of God from the Old Testament and how they're fulfilled in Christ. I, I can only imagine that right here, this author is pointing straight back to one of our favorite psalms, Psalm 23. When David cries out, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Jesus is the great shepherd of our souls. And so not only is he a God of peace, we can have that relationship with him that saves us and gives us peace in the midst of storms. We have life through him, but we also have everything that you see described from a shepherd to a sheep. Go look at Psalm 23. We have his guidance. We have his healing. We have his providence. He gives us what we need so that we don't have to want. He leads us to places of rest when we need to rest. You know, I've heard a lot of speculation. Maybe that's part of what God's doing. Our world runs so crazy and it seems to be uh, uh, running on full throttle all the time that all of a sudden we've been called to rest. We've been called to slow down. Now I know that's not true of everybody out there. I have a niece who's a nurse. Certainly the nurses aren't getting any rest and we ought to be praying for them. I have a brother who's a police officer. Our police officers aren't getting any rest. I saw burglaries in New York City had gone up 75% last week. Crime, pain, 
suffering, agony is still out there. And, and our friends and family, a lot of them are still having to deal with it. But for many of us, God has given us an opportunity to rest. And if you're one who God's called to rest, rest. Because your time may be next when you have to be on. God, Jesus, is our great shepherd. And then fourth, and all of these fall under that heading. This is a prayer for his people. He wants them to understand that they can have peace with God, that they have life through God, that they have a shepherd in Christ. But he also wants them to know that God will equip them. And that's the main verb in this passage. So how does God equip us and with what does God equip us? First, he equips us with everything good. I want you to hear that. Because if you have a personal relationship with Christ, you have in you, in Christ who is in you, not, not in your flesh, in your own ability, but in the Christ who dwells in you, you have everything that you need to fulfill the purposes of God in your life. You don't need a second blessing. You don't need a, a, an extra outpouring. You just need to be connected to the Jesus who is in you, okay? 2 Peter 1.3 says that in Christ, God has given us everything necessary for life and godliness. In Christ, he has given us everything. So he has equipped us with everything that we need to fulfill his purpose. Well, what if God calls me to go share the gospel with a friend? I just don't feel adequate. I don't feel good enough. I haven't taken the apologetics class at seminary. If you know enough of the gospel to be saved my friend Dr. Queen would say, then you know enough of the gospel to share it. You have been equipped to do what God's called you to do. God is not gonna call you to do something that he hasn't equipped you to do. Even if it feels like it's out of your comfort zone, if you'll be obedient and step out on faith and go where God's called you to go and do what God's called you to do, he will empower you, sometimes supernaturally empower you to accomplish something that you never thought you could do. God equips us with every good thing. Now, there's a qualifier here. Every good thing to do his will. <laughs> there's some things that Christians think that they need and some things that we as Christians think that we wanna do that are not the will of God. There's no promise in God's word that he's gonna equip you for everything. You know, when I was a kid and I first began to learn that verse, uh, Philippians 4.13, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Well, my thought was, man, I'm headed up to the roof because I wanna fly wisely I made the decision not to test God on that verse. God's promise is not that he's gonna give you the ability to do everything. God's promise is not that he's gonna give you the money to buy everything. And God's promise is that he's gonna equip you to fulfill his purposes, to accomplish his will. And so if you ever have any doubt about your worth, or your ability to fulfill the purpose for which God has created you, you don't have to question that. If God calls you to it, he has already equipped you to accomplish it. His will. How? By working in us. How does he accomplish that? He has placed for, for every believer the Holy Spirit of the living God in some miraculous Un, undescribable way has enlivened your spirit. It's as though 
somehow spiritually you were born again, <laughs> as Jesus told Nicodemus. He has, he has placed his living spirit inside of you and he has empowered you from the inside out. <clears throat> Once again, not empowered you to go out and do uh, countless uh, minor things that don't matter. He's, he's empowered you to fulfill and accomplish his purposes and his will through the spirit that he has placed in us. So God is working in you to accomplish his purposes. Fourth here, he equips us by working in us to do what is pleasing in his sight. You know, this takes me back to Hebrews chapter 11. I looked at that text that said, without faith, it is impossible to please God. So how do we please God? We please God by putting our faith and trust in the spirit who dwells within us to fulfill his purposes through us. And so by faith, he has equipped us to please him, to do what is pleasing in his sight. Fifth, he has equipped us through Jesus. I don't want to be overly redundant here, but the scripture says, working in us what is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. It is through your relationship with Christ that you've been equipped to fulfill the purposes of God. Outside of a relationship with Christ, you will never be able to fulfill the purposes of God. Some of you this morning studied in your growth group lesson, uh, Jesus, uh, John the Baptist calling out the Pharisees and Sadducees. And uh, if, if you haven't studied, maybe, maybe you're not connected to First Baptist Watauga, and, and so you haven't studied this growth group lesson, I'd encourage you, it's on our Facebook site. Uh, there's a video on there, about a 20-minute video that'll take you through this lesson. It's a great lesson. It's a lesson on John the Baptist called repentance, but it's a great lesson where John the Baptist calls out the religious. See, the Pharisees and Sadducees were Hebrews of Hebrews. Uh, they were the ones who had the Old Testament memorized, and the Pharisees in particular uh, bragged about how they had the commentaries on the Old Testament memorized. Uh, they, they, they were a whole lot smarter scripturally than any of us in this room, or probably anybody that's listening uh, on this podcast or on this video. They, they knew the Word of God, they were religious about the word of God. Problem is, they were so caught up and focused on the rules and regulations and the religiousness of their life that they, many of them completely missed Jesus. These men and women who said that they'd been, or these men who said that they'd been looking forward to the coming of the Messiah missed the Messiah. When Jesus stepped on earth, they didn't realize who it was. John the Baptist says, and he tells them, he calls them out on it because they were so caught up that, that, that they were gonna miss Jesus. And he told them, he said, look, the kingdom of God is at hand. And right now, God's about to do some winnowing. He's about to take those who are really his, and he used the illustration of the chaff and the wheat. And he said, the wheat's gonna go on the threshing floor, and God's gonna take a winnowing fork, and he's gonna shake it out, and the, all of the chaff is gonna be blown away, and it's gonna be burned. And Pharisees and Sadducees, you better look out because the time is at hand. The, he's saying the Messiah is here. The kingdom of God has arrived and, and you're about to miss Jesus. 
See, the only hope that we have for peace with God, eternal life, and the peace of God, the only hope we have to be pleasing to God is a relationship with his son, Jesus, whom he sent as a sacrifice for our sins, who died and rose again that we could have everlasting life. The author of Hebrews expounded upon that theme greatly for 13 chapters. Jesus is a fulfillment of God's purpose. Jesus lets us see the heart of God as he truly is. Jesus is the, puts on display the full glory of God. Jesus was the perfect sacrificial lamb. Jesus was the perfect high priest. It's about Jesus. And through Christ, you can come into the holy place and worship a holy God. But it's only through Jesus. There's no other way. There's no other hope. It is through Jesus. So I plead with you, if you have not come to that place where you put your full faith and trust, your hope for life and for eternal life in the person and work of Jesus, do it now. Right there in your living room, Right here in this auditorium, I hope we don't have any praise team members (laughs) that don't have that relationship with Christ. But if you have any doubts, make sure that, that, that before this day is settled, you have that settled. Because there is no other way to please God except through his son, Jesus. Imagine this. You you commit some awful act, some awful thing against your spouse. You've done something horrible. And, 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 and they reach out to you and they say, you know, I forgive you and I love you. And, and as, a, as a show of my gift and my love to you, I, I wanna offer you a ring as a reminder of how much I love you and for this day that I've forgiven you. And you look your spouse square in the eye and you say, you know what, I just don't believe you can forgive me. I don't want that ring. Maybe it's a, a, a piece of jewelry that they sacrificed hours for, making with their own hands. Maybe it's one that they worked days for, earning the money to buy just for you, to show you their love and their forgiveness. And you say, I don't want it. I don't believe you can really forgive me for how bad I was. I, I would imagine that at that point, your relationship's gonna be over. Well, multiply that a thousand times. While we were still in our sin, God sent his son to show us his love. Romans 5, 8 says he, he, he demonstrated his love toward us by putting his son on the cross, by allowing him to be beat with a cat of nine tails, allowing him to die a horrible death, placing on his conscience, on his soul, the sins of all of the world for all of eternity. God put that on his son. Why? Why would he do that? Scripture's clear. He did it because he loves you and me that much. And God says, if you would only believe, if you'd only believe that I am who I say I am, 
If you'd only believe that, that, that Jesus is my son who died for you and rose again, and you would accept that gift of life by, by receiving him, by confessing him as your Lord, and by turning toward me and, and now coming back to me as your, as your heavenly father, if you would only do that, you'd have eternal life. You'd get to spend eternity with me. Not only that, but for the rest of your life on this earth, even when you face turmoil and struggle and pandemics, I'll give you peace. I'll send my spirit to be with you now. And yet, we turn to God and say, I don't believe it. Can't be that easy. Or I don't want to change my life. I don't want to do what you're asking me to do. I want to do it my way. I think I can get there my way. And he says, okay, if you want to remain there on your own, I'm not going to force you. You're on your own. Ultimately, though, there's life in no one else except for Jesus. And so if you decide to reject Jesus and stay on your own, you've signed your own death sentence. You'll spend eternity Separator from God, dying. When if you would only put your faith in the Son of God who loved you so much that he died for you, stepped down out of heaven into this horrible world and gave up his life for you, if you'd only do that, you'd have everlasting life. The, the, the variety, the plethora of gifts spiritual encouragement and life that God desires to give you today, I couldn't describe it in hours from this pulpit. You can find it in God's word. If you reject Christ, you're rejecting that offer. So I plead with you, turn to Christ. If you don't know how to do that, you're at your home, reach out. I know that Kevin, associate pastor, is right now following along on YouTube and Facebook. Reach out to him. Contact me. Contact the church after the service. It's easy if you just go on fbcwithtalk.org slash prayer. Send us a prayer request as a contact. We'll reach out to you. If you want to know how you can have eternal life through Christ, reach out today. If you already know how through the simple presentation of the gospel you've heard here, you could just get down on your knees and turn your life over to Christ on your own. And then when this thing's over, find a church home that you can get plugged into. The sixth reason he equips us is for the glory of Christ. You know, you go all the way back to that, that first verse where the scripture says in verse three, the son, of, the son is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word, after making purifications for his sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus did all of that to bring glory and honor to his father. And his father says, we learn in Philippians chapter two, is gonna lift up the name of Jesus to be exalted on high. Matthew quoted that passage earlier. He is the, he's the one who deserves the glory. He's the one who deserves the honor. My prayer is, and the prayer of the writer of Hebrews, is that you would be equipped by God to bring glory to God. That your life would shine 
put on display the glory of God. Now, the, the author of Hebrews ends with that business we talked about up front, but he ends with this statement. May God's grace be with you all. It is through his mercy and through his grace that we have this incredible offer. None of us, not a single one of us, deserve eternal life. We deserve death. Scripture tells us that the wages of our sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. He's offered us that gift of grace. May God's grace be with you wherever you are. But now, right there in your living room, right here in this auditorium, I hope we don't have any praise team members <laughs> that don't have that relationship with Christ. But if you have any doubts, make sure that, that, that before this day is settled, you have that settled. Because there is no other way to please God except through his son, Jesus. Imagine this. You, you commit some awful act, some awful thing against your spouse. You've done something horrible. And, 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 and they reach out to you and they say, you know, I forgive you. And I love you. And, and as, a, as a show of my gift and my love to you, I, I wanna offer you a ring as a reminder of how much I love you and for this day that I've forgiven you. And you look your spouse square in the eye and you say, you know what, I just don't believe you can forgive me. I don't want that ring. Maybe it's a, a, a piece of jewelry that they sacrificed hours for, making with their own hands. Maybe it's one that they worked days for, earning the money to buy just for you to show you their love and their forgiveness. And you say, I don't want it. I don't believe you can really forgive me for how bad I was. I would imagine at that point your relationship's gonna be over. Well, multiply that a thousand times. While we were still in our sin, God sent his son to show us his love. Romans 5.8 says he, he, he demonstrated his love toward us by putting his son on the cross, by allowing him to be beat with a cat of nine tails, allowing him to die a horrible death, placing on his conscience, on his soul, the sins of all of the world for all of eternity. God put that on his son. Why? Why would he do that? Scripture's clear. He did it because he loves you and me that much. And God says, if you would only believe, if you'd only believe that I am who I say I am, if you'd only believe that, that, that Jesus is my son who died for you and rose again, and you would accept that gift of life by, by receiving him, by confessing him as your Lord, and by turning toward me, and, and now coming back to me as your, as your heavenly father, if you would only do that, you'd have eternal life. You'd get to spend eternity with me. Not only that, but for the rest of your life on this earth, even when you face turmoil and struggle and pandemics, I'll give you peace. I'll send my spirit to be with you now. And yet, we turn to God and say, I don't believe it. Can't be that easy. 
or I don't want to change my life. I don't, want to, I don't want to do what you're asking me to do. I want to do it my way. I think I can get there my way. And he says, okay. If you want to remain there on your own, I'm not going to force you. You're on your own. Ultimately, though, there's life in no one else except for Jesus. And so if you decide to reject Jesus and stay on your own, you've signed your own death sentence. You'll spend eternity separated from God, dying. When if you would only put your faith in the Son of God who loved you so much that he died for you, stepped down out of heaven into this horrible world and gave up his life for you, if you'd only do that, you'd have everlasting life. The, the, the variety, the plethora of gifts, and spiritual encouragement and life that God desires to give you today, I couldn't describe it in hours from this pulpit. You can find it in God's word. If you reject Christ, you're rejecting that offer. So I plead with you, turn to Christ. If you don't know how to do that, you're at your home, reach out. I know that Kevin, associate pastor, is right now following along on YouTube and Facebook. Reach out to him. Contact me, contact the church after the service. It's easy if you just go on fbcwithtaga.org slash prayer. Send us a prayer request as a contact. We'll reach out to you. If you wanna know how you can have eternal life through Christ, reach out today. If you already know how, through the simple presentation of the gospel you've heard here, you could just get down on your knees and turn your life over to Christ on your own. And then when this thing's over, find a church home that you can get plugged into. The sixth reason he equips us is for the glory of Christ. You know, you go all the way back to that, that first verse where the scripture says in verse three, the sun, of, the sun is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word after making purifications for his sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus did all of that to bring glory and honor to his father. And his father says, we learn in Philippians chapter two, is gonna lift up the name of Jesus to be exalted on high. Matthew quoted that passage earlier. He is the, he's the one who deserves the glory. He's the one who deserves the honor. My prayer is, and the prayer of the writer of Hebrews, is that you would be equipped by God to bring glory to God that your life would shine, put on display the glory of God. Now, the, the author of Hebrews ends with that business we talked about up front, but he ends with this statement. May God's grace be with you all. It is through his mercy and through his grace that we have this incredible offer. None of us, not a single one of us, deserve eternal life. We deserve death. Scripture tells us that the wages of our sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. He's offered us that gift of grace. May God's grace be with you. 
wherever you are. 